Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Welcome to the podcast today. This is episode 100. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We are recording in the nation's capital. We can see the Bywood Market from our window. And uh, we have a full house here today. So we have Trevor. Hey, how's it going? Michael. How's it going? Good to be back. And Jace. How's it going? So uh, we've been talking about episode 100 for a few weeks now, and we're, we're excited to, uh, to bring it to you today. So, I mean, our tagline is your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. We've been saying it for 100 episodes now. So this episode, we're dedicating to talking about those deliberate lifestyle decisions that lead you to financial independence. And more specifically, this is kind of Trevor's true and tested deliberate lifestyle choices that have brought him to being able to reach early um, early fin- retirement and his financial independence. Yeah, so I think these are, are the 10 things that with without question have have moved the needle the most, have been the most critical things that I've done or not done to that I think have led me to early financial independence. I think there's a lot of things that you've talked about in uh, all the past episodes. It's kind of like a culmination of the past hundred episodes, kind of summarized into uh, it, the ten it, points. It is, but this, these are kind of the the ten that really stand out. So we talked about other things, but these are recurring things that you're right. They come up in every episode. So without further ado, let's dive in. So uh, number one here is budgeting is a way of life. And I want to say these are in no particular order. So we've come up with 10 and we're just going to roll them off as we come up with them. But so budgeting is a way of life. So without budgeting, it's like you're, you're driving, you're flying blind. You, you don't know what you're doing. It, it, to, 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 you can't even begin to accomplish any of the other ones. So this is kind of in, in, in order that without a budget, none of the other ones are attainable. So a budget is a way of life. And I'm going to say, I'm going to throw this to you guys, I don't think it matters at what stage in life you're at, how much money you have or don't have, a budget is mission critical. I would agree with that. Um, can you think of a situation, can you think of a scenario of somebody who who just doesn't need a budget? No, no, because I, I don't think so. Because in my mind, no matter what lifestyle you're living at, I think you need it, you need a budget because without that budget, you're you're gonna lose track of like if say you your your lifestyle inflates you're not gonna be able to track that so like so for me I spend four hundred dollars on groceries a month and I you know I spend twenty dollars here forty dollars there or whatever and by the end of the month I can see that I'm hitting that four hundred dollar mark but if you don't if I don't track that then I I lose track of if, am I hitting that? Like, I guess I'm talking about budget tracking, but like if I, if I lose track, like I, I won't know. And then like, if I start buying these Gucci granola bars, then uh, like, and, and all of a sudden now it's going up to $500 a month. I'm not going to know that unless I have a budget saying I'm committing to $400 and I'm, I'm seeing that. So you're saying a budget, a budget is making you del- do deliberate things with your money. Yeah. yeah Cause, cause so, so when I see it go and I'm like, holy smokes, I spent $500 in groceries this month. I'm going to say, what changed? Oh, I'm eating these Gucci granola bars. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> and I, I guess, do you think, I mean, is there a good age to start that budget or to your, to your point, Trevor, can you, can you start a budget? I think start it today. Like start start it like whenever. But like, your point, it, it, do you, does everyone need a budget? Can everyone benefit from a budget? Can you, can, if you, yeah, so you don't have a budget, you can pick up and start today. Well, the best time to start a budget is when you earn your, you earn your first dollar. 
And the next best time to start a budget is now. Well, I, I think like it's it's very well suited at the number one point of today because without a budget, none of these other points that we're going to hit on today would be able to be possible. So it, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what your income level is. You will always need a budget no matter who you are. And I, I, I agree 100%. And I think people can, can drift away from a budget when, especially when they, you're, say you're, you're older, just say you're in your 50s and you're, you're making the most money you've ever made. And you might feel a budget is just, it's just consuming too much of your time and it's really not adding a lot of value. But I think only when you stop doing a budget will you realize the amount of value it was truly adding to your life. Because I think it's that whole thing, knowledge is power. Because because like you, you you think on the surface, oh, I got all this money, I'm just loaded. But then you start breaking it down and you, you see how long that money will actually carry you. And it would really suck if you're like, oh, I'm good to go. And it's eighty, you're 85 years old and all of a sudden, oh, damn, I'm out of money. I got to go back to work. Like that would really suck. Like. I think the most important thing for, for people our age especially is starting that budget now because even when our lifestyle inflates, our, our budget should inflate with it to have more and more go to savings. So that way when we do reach that end goal, which is going to be retirement, we're able to affordably live with the way of life that we've probably been living the whole time. And you can't even begin to plan. You know, People always say, how much money do you, this is the, the question everyone asks, how much money do I need to retire? How much money do you need? Well, you have to know how much money your lifestyle costs now. Then you can start to speculate at what it might cost 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Once, once you know how much your lifestyle costs, you can start to run some numbers, build in some inflationary factors, know what expenses you need, you need to go away to retire. Like, for instance, you'll know quickly that I can't retire with a mortgage. So I need... So once you have a budget, you can start to put the framework in place of what needs to transpire. To Jace's point, none of these other things are possible without a budget because you need to know what needs to change in your life in order to, to accomplish your goals. And if, if you're listening to this podcast, early financial independence has to be somewhere on your priority list. Is that knowledge is power. So like you're, you're kind of test driving your, your, your thing and you're saying, okay, if I spend X amount on groceries, if I spend so much on on doing other things like you know that okay that's kind of lifestyle i like you're, you're testing your lifestyle and saying well if i like that like you, to your point then okay that's how much i need to continue this lifestyle i like in retirement well i, th I think that like a, a budget is is great and a simple one is a, a very good start but unless you like take it and you apply it and you do a, a five or a 10 or a 15 year budget and you really start looking towards all the stages of life that you're gonna hit when you're getting there I think that's almost more important than just having a basic budget. It is. So you're talking about just tracking expenses. Yeah, tracking expenses then is great. Transition but into projecting expenses. You have, yeah, you have to if you want to be able to reach. When did that when level did you eventually. switch, Trevor? Because like 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 when when was the point? Because I know obviously now you're you're approaching retirement. You have a long term like. I need to keep working till 55 to in order to retire. So like when when did you start realizing I need to look at the big picture? Cuz like for me just starting my working career, I I know that I'm not going to need to to you know like I I know I'm way out from retirement. So as long as I'm tracking and I'm getting a sense of how much I'm spending day to day, month to month and stuff, I know I'm good right now. But how, like when when should you start doing that? Like Yeah, the, I started looking in in like Jace was talking 10 and 15 year windows into the future when when I realized I, I no longer had a mortgage my kids are moving out and uh, money 
you know, I had to decide what am I going to do with this excess money that was going to all these other expenses. I don't want to just inflate my life with it. I want to, you know, know, you know, I want to purposely put this money somewhere to some use. But more importantly, as your expenses go away, it's, it's so easy to just let new expenses filter into your life. And without a documented budget, that just happens in the well, background. Not, not even when um, expenses like leave your life, like for you when your kids went off to school and stuff. But I'd even say like, I, I mean, I started a job a couple of years ago after graduating. And um, for me, it was like all of a sudden you go from being a broke student to holy smokes, I'm making, you know, quite a significant amount, more, more than I need to live my life, you know, like, so it's like even that, like you could easily be like, okay, like, I got a little extra money, like want to treat myself, you know, like that's a really easy way to just start you know, throwing money at things. And then later you're, you're, you're going to get used to lifestyle. And then it's that negative cycle of, okay, well now I need a higher paying job because now maybe you have dependency of kids. And then it, it gets, it, it's, it's a dangerous road you can walk down later. Like I even think when you're younger, that's even important. Do you know, to your point that I think the best way to structure a budget is to break your budget into discretionary spending and non-discretionary spending well I, I mentioned on the podcast it's exactly what i do with my budget and it's it's super valuable because like i said uh, a few episodes ago when 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 the, the world starts crumbling apart at your feet you're gonna look at your budget and cut out everything in the discretionary well, as we category. talked about before i know um uh emergency funds or whatever and that's like that's like what you need to keep functioning Mandatory. yeah, yeah Mandatory like your, food, your bills your rent and yeah to keep you off the street yeah so what I'm going to say is your mandatory expenses, oddly enough, are the ones that are going to fluctuate throughout your life. Because you're going to have maybe a family, you're going to live in an apartment, you might live in a house. So those mandatory expenses, the ones that keep your life going, like your mortgage payment or rent, your utilities, those things are going to vary depending in different stages of your life, but they're still mandatory. So it's the discretionary spending that you should try to keep constant, to your point, Mike, is that's the stuff you want to keep, uh, you don't want to get away on you. Well, I think you you still really need that overarching, like, uh, let's say, five-year plan. Because let's say, like, for you, Mike, uh, most people who are in your position who just graduated school, their five-year plan would, like, include paying off student debts before they could start saving, before they can get any extra money set aside. You know, that's going to be a huge expense in their life. They're not going to have a lot of extra spending money. So having that set, being like, okay here's the goal to pay off my student debts within five years. Another five years later, I'm going to get a car. Ten years, I'm going to get a house. Having those set in stone and overarching, I think, is very, very important. If you're going to do a budget, you might as well look at the long picture. And I agree with that. And those are the kind of things that are going to keep you motivated to having that, like that having vision, that plan. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of have a listener question here. It, it, I invented the listener question. But, hey, listener, Courtney. And I think it's one... <laughs> I think it's one that... Uh, I, I feel like maybe a lot of our listeners are asking us right now and it's it's that how but a, a budget is limiting a budget a budget kind of sets the parameters around what I can and can't do like how can I really live a fulfilling a fulfilling yeah. life when let's, I have these let's interrupt this parameter set around yeah, yeah, say, yeah. <laughs> I, I, we're not nice on this show <laughs> okay hang up on you no I uh, so I was gonna say this sounds to me like like diets you know where like you don't get full buy-in you're doing it because you feel like you need to not because you 
you like you want to so to me like setting a budget you're setting a budget to a lifestyle you enjoy and you like and I, I think when people say like like for example with diets like I, I I'm not I'm not a big advocate of diets you're like oh I have to do this right and what's gonna happen is when you're done your diet you've accomplished it you're you're gonna reach that point where then you're you're yeah, sorry, I did air quotes. No one can see that. I did air quotes when you're done your diet, okay? Um, you're, you're gonna you're gonna say, oh great, I'm done, and you're just gonna revert back to your your the way you were. Is you gotta find enjoyment. Like so so whatever you're doing your diet, you gotta find a way to enjoy that. So the same thing, you gotta find a lifestyle that you enjoy. But I think I think where budgets get become restricting is if if one say you've got a husband and a wife, one of them has some savings goals and it requires a budget to achieve them and the other partner doesn't share the same goals and they would see that budget as restricting and limiting but if if you have a just say you're by yourself you create your own budget a budget actually frees up money to be allocated to the things you really want i think like getting into budgeting is extremely hard but once you have started doing it for a little while and it becomes a habit, then you're going to start to see the rewards that you'll get from it. And then it will be rewarding enough that you're not going to resent it. It's not like a diet where eventually you're going to resent the diet because you're going to see people eating ice cream or cookies and cake and you're going to be like, damn, I want to go eat some of that. With my budget, like I've gotten to the point where it always triangulates and like it, all the numbers add up and it makes sense. And it's the most satisfying feeling. Like, I have to have it balanced. Like, I like it that way. And, and a lot of people, they navigate personal finance through what I call excess, meaning they, they know they earn this much money and they look at their bank account and know this much every month tends to come out. And if one number is greater than the other, everything's golden. Now, is that what people do when they, like, when, when you're going to find a higher, like, um, when people keep looking for jobs that pay more, it adds more stress and stuff. That's what they're, they're doing. trying to make that math work. The access, yeah. So let's move on to point number two. So the the first um, deliberate lifestyle choice again was budgeting as a way of life. Um, the second deliberate lifestyle choice that will lead you to early financial independence or financial independence at all is number two: never buy a new car under any circumstance. So I'm going to definitely agree with this point, being someone who is at the point in their life where they're looking for um, their first car. Um, I've definitely been like perusing online and taking a look at different places. Uh, used cars for me is the most financially stable way to go, especially because the job that I want to get into, a car is definitely required to get that job. So for me, I'm 100% down with this life choice. But I realize that a lot of people uh, these days, they want that new shiny item. And I think a car is definitely not the new shiny item that you should be looking for. And so obviously, this is one of my things. So I'm going to say I failed at this one at a young age. I did buy a new car. And the whole thing with these 10 things is you can't make all these mistakes. You, 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 so I, I failed in this one early in life. Got it right after that. So I bought a new car, got over, I'm going to say got over that. And from then on, I bought used cars. But why did you, why did you buy that new car? I mean, yes, you're reflecting back now, but what were, were the societal influences, environmental influences? All my friends had brand new cars. So it was definitely a, a, a peer pressure, societal impact. And I'm going to say I was being influenced by my, my parents who 
the cars they were driving in the 1970s were compared to cars today, a piece of crap and horribly unreliable. So they were saying, you know, now don't buy a used car. The, you know, you're just going to have nothing but problems. And they're probably right. A car made in 1974, probably a used, you know, they, they had a pretty short shelf life. But the car I bought, it was far more reliable. And cars today are incredibly reliable. Like, I mean, they need very little maintenance. But the problem, the thing with a new car is you, this is the one where you get to make the mistake over and over and over. You can keep buying new cars every three years and you can keep digging that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And this is the one, so with a house, you, you buy a house maybe once or twice in your life. If you, and if you screw it up, we're going to get to houses. But because houses go up in value, you can sort of sell that and correct your mistake. But if you buy cars, they just go down in value with every passing day. You, you can't recover from that. That's a mistake you have to swallow. I find it kind of interesting what you said with the point of um, uh, when you said you bought new cars because that was what everyone else was doing. And I think that's uh, interesting because you look at society, right, and, and you want to keep up with the Joneses, right? So, like, you, everyone goes and they buy the new cars and stuff. And they see what – you, what you see is the new cars. And we always talk about this is that um, the you don't see the, the debt side, like the fact that these people have massive – payments and stuff and, and a car a lot of people think a lot of people believe a car is a display of wealth when i see a big expensive sixty-five thousand dollar truck i see consumption of wealth you know it, it is because it goes down in value it is not a, a, a display of wealth well like i feel like too these days um the the kind of group of of younger people their perspective on on buying new is is definitely changing everything is shifting used things are becoming more and more popular buying reusing reducing um they're all looking for good ways to like help and sustain the earth and one of those is buying used whether it's clothes or cars or houses and this is terrifying because if your generation keeps buying used stuff there's nobody, somebody's got to go out and buy these new cars yeah, someone, so we can go it. buy the used ones. You know, there's, there's a commercial on the radio that um, they, they, they kind of say that. It's like, leave, leave the, you know, leave someone else to buy the, the new car and you buy it used and you'll save money. That's kind of how they sell it. It's this used car dealership on the radio. And, and so they're, they're basically saying, leave that problem for someone else. You really do depend on someone else to uh, buy the new yeah. one. So right now we're kind of living. I mean, So only our, half our society gener- listen to this show because <laughs> if everyone listens <laughs> the to other it, half go we're and buy screwed. A new car, we're man. screwed. Please, please. <laughs> Don't tell anyone else, like, else about it, the podcast. It, at least if there's two people in the room listening to this, one person you need to unplug right now. Yeah, and get that new car. Well, because if you think about it, we're benefiting. I mean, we're kind of this side of crossroad where the millennial generation and the the younger generations are kind of benefiting, to Jason's point, off of um, older generations' beliefs um, in, in maybe that you do need to purchase a car every three years and, and that the reliability says so. So let me ask you guys. So what is there something about a new car that – so what appeals to you about the concept of a new car and what repels you about the concept of a new car? So the new Honda Civic is really, really no, nice. No, 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 that, no. That's my. That's Let's my get new. more generic. Like this, just just the idea of having the latest and greatest, or that new car smell, or or this thing that's pristine, it's, it's unblemished. Like, what is the draw? If if you were drawn to a new car, what would it be? I definitely think it, it depends on perspective. If you're the type of person who likes that like shiny new sports car 
and you want to drive it around to show it off and, and bring your friends places, you want it to have that new car smell. But if you're the type of person who is buying a car um, based on your favorite car or based on getting from point A to point B, you're not going to be as concerned. You're not going to really have that interest. Just stay on the new car. What would be the draw? Like everyone can, everyone can see a new car and, and you know, think, wow, that would be great to have. But what, what element of a new car, if you had to pick one thing that would make you well, want- look, look at yourself. Okay, all right. So you you love Apple, right? Like it's just just you and Apple wait, wait, got Trevor? some crazy going, like you know, a little love connection going on. Makes your wife a little <laughs> jealous sometimes. Um, but uh, so so like it, it, the latest and greatest things, like like think of your cars. I know I know they're like fourteen year old cars. Is like you in one of your your you have a Honda CRV. It's got one of those uh, tape cassettes in it still, right? So so you, you got these new cars with these built in GPSs, all the latest and greatest technology. How nice is that to have that, right? Like. I know I, I rent cars sometimes and it's got the latest and greatest stuff in it. And it's like, wow, you know, like each person's got their control of like the temperature. It's like, wow. So, so like, for me, so like to, to your point, for me, the draw is the technology they're putting in new cars. That is what like some people would be the the reliability. Like like what what for me, it, I'm obviously not going to succumb to a new car. But if there was something that would make make and the reason I mentioned this is if you can figure out what that one thing is or those two things are that, that entice you about a new car and just reason them out in your mind of how unimportant they are, you can get past the new car's syndrome. Yeah, well, you I, think, I think a good, a good part of it too, though, is that, that people have this sense of pride. And when they go and they buy a used car... They don't feel like they can afford to have it that goes, new shiny goes back thing, to the and it goes status. Yeah, and it goes to ego, right? Like you're not gonna want to go and tell someone, "Oh yeah, I just bought this like twelve hundred dollar used car." You're gonna want to say, "Like I just drove this off the so lot." So you bring any time emotion is brought into buying something, definitely. it definitely. definitely it goes bad. Yeah. Like, you cannot yeah. buy things emotionally. And if we're talking about then being stuck in the new car cycle as well, if you are a habitual new car buyer and all of a sudden you come to work in a an obviously used car, like to 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 Jay's point, to your point, you Trevor, you swallow a lot of pride. Oh yeah, and like so, it's easier kind of to start on the used train because again, maybe maybe you're three, four, five years out of school, just kind of getting your life started. I mean, buying a used car makes sense, checks out. But I mean, like any time else, it's like it's it's like if you get rid of your... I mean, Trevor, you mentioned how you uh, went TV-less. And this is a while ago, but you had brought that up. And it's like, I mean, to other people, it's like, oh, are, are you okay? Yeah, like, yeah. Right <laughs> at home, like... Well, I, I think a, a lot of it, too, is that if you if you look at the advertisements that society is putting out these days, like... It's it's sexy to buy a new oh, car. Yeah. They they make it seem like if you're not buying a new car in these advertisements, there is something wrong with you. Like why wouldn't you want that like new Lexus? Like why wouldn't you want that brand new shiny car with the leather interior and, and Bluetooth, Bluetooth speaker? And you know the reason I say never buy a new car. Once you buy the new car, to Courtney's point, going back is really really hard. I mean, getting that, getting in that first used car and trying to get excited about that first used car is really hard after you've been in a new one. So if you never go there, it it gets real easy. Like to, the the next used car is super exciting, but I did the new car, and then my next car was used, and I I could not get excited about that vehicle. It was one of the most a uh, miserable 
owning experiences I've ever had with a car. But once then, then my next used car was an upgrade from that. So everything was good. But it was very painful to make that transition. You know what I find so interesting? I find hard with new things. I've recently bought a new bike, so it's a lot smaller of a scale. But every bump I went over, every yeah. like little piece of dirt that got on it, it's painful. It, it's painful. Like I think that would be tough with like every new car. You go through that, you're like, oh, the first scratch, oh, the first bump. Like, so it kind of like, the thing kind of owns you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're constantly worried about that. Whereas like, say, say you're driving, like you know, you buy your used car. There's gonna be a few little scratches, scratches, pre-scratch, yeah, prevented. So it's like it's like oh, it's just another scratch. You know, like this is not as big of a deal and. I think like the only time it would be acceptable to buy a new car is if you are planning on buying it and owning it until it is literally driven into the ground. But to that point, I would rather buy, and I've done the math on this, I'd rather buy a, a, a three-year-old car, and not saying I'd do this, but I could ma- poorly maintain it and drive the crap out of it for five years, leave it on the side road, walk away, keys in it. <laughs> I don't recommend that, but you could do it. Go buy another three-year-old car, barely maintain it, drive the crap out of it, park it on the side of the road, leave the keys in it, walk away. You would have spent less money on those two th- cars that you bought that were three years old, and you, so you drove them until they were eight years old, than you would have spent on a brand new car, keeping it for 10 years, maintaining it impeccably, and all the costs that go with that. So, and I've done it. I've done it. I've, I bought a brand new car, and I kept it for Almost 10 years. What's that number for um, when, when you come off a lot, like buying a new yeah. car, it goes down by Crazy some amount. value. Yeah, yeah. But I, I've sort of looked at it and it, th- the three-year mark is the, sp- is, is the spot. So to your point, Jay, if you plan to keep it, and I, people have made that argument with me, and if you plan to keep it for, you know, tell it, drive it into the ground, I, I think you, <laughs> I, know, I don't think you're any further ahead. You, you probably are... It's better than the guy who bought it for brand new and just drove it for three years because those are the most expensive three years. So let's let's just say, for example, like I'm I'm looking at Jeeps right now and I've been looking at a Jeep on Kijiji that's $1,800, 2002, 195,000 kilometers on it. If I go and I purchase that and it lasts me a year, do you think that I have gotten as much value as if I bought a brand new Jeep that I know will last to 250, 300,000 kilometers, I have that guarantee. Whereas if I'm spending 1800 on this, I don't. See, one way of looking at it is, is you have, when you buy a brand new vehicle, you have 10 years of vehicle inventory. If you kind of look at it like from a business perspective. So you've, you've pre-bought 10 years worth of car inventory and you're going to use it up a little, you know, year by year. Like if year. you spread the cost, say it costs like, like twenty thousand dollars, you spread that over the ten years. That's two thousand dollars per year. Yeah, well, yeah. But yeah. But, it, but if you so if you're running a business, would you go out and buy all the inventory you're going to need to run that store for ten years? That that would not be an efficient way of running a business. Of course, buying a car is not running a business, but it's one way of looking at it. Whereas if you bought the eighteen hundred dollar vehicle, that's like buying three months worth of inventory for your store. Right. right. So as you, but you could but, make it last, but, uh, you know, six or seven. But months as if you're lucky. as your life evolves and changes, maybe a Jeep doesn't work five years from now. Maybe your 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 family circumstances have changed, and this Jeep is a is a a, a burden instead of a blessing. Right. It's it's you can't. And this happened to me. I had a two door sporty car, the one I bought brand new, and lo and behold, I had twins. Well, trying to get car seats. In the back of this, <laughs> I had to be a contortionist to get these kids in, this car, in these car seats. And it was a, a horribly unpleasant experience. 
And so I ended up, I, I got to the point where I could get the kids in with the rear-facing car seats, but when they got too big for those and they had to go in the front-facing car seats, they literally wouldn't fit. So now I was, and I didn't even look that far ahead. You know, when you got twins, you kind of world's moving kind of fast. And so I had to go out and buy a, a van in, in a panic, right? I think, and I, I, can, I can't get my kids to, to doctor's appointments unless I take them one at a time. Like, so I ended up in a sort of a desperate situation, but I bought a brand new car and I said I was going to drive this forever. And my circumstances changed. And obviously it wasn't something I, you don't plan for twins. They just sort of show up. So there's an example where you can't look too far in the future. So the older you are, oddly enough, you can look more long-term. But when you're younger, your life change, tends to change every three to five years, whether you want it to or not. It, it does. It, whether you're planning on it or not, it just changes. So basically you're saying that like with a new car, you're, and if you want to make it last the, like the, like the full length of its life, is Buy a full size sedan. Yeah, yeah but you're, <laughs> you're basically limiting your options, or you're you're trying to buy for the future. Like like you you're not gonna you're not gonna maximize that vehicle. Like like it's very well. You're gonna end up making it work. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and it'll I'm, be a struggle because like like you said. So say say you do a Honda Civic, you, you do a couple of Honda Civics, you do a Honda Civic and some other vehicle, and they're both used. Then at that way, you got your options. Every five years, you leave it on the side of the road with the keys in it, and you're not losing anything. There isn't that. a there isn't a twenty year old man that I could convince you'll be driving a minivan in five years, and they're going <laughs> to nod their head yes. That guy doesn't exist. I, I I, I think I think what Trevor's I guess getting to is that it's basically an investment, short term investment to buy a used car, and instead of betting on the wrong horse on the long term investment, it's being more prepared for life to change because it's gonna life will, it will. change. I like that, I like that yeah. point a lot. So I I say yeah, that this you know funny I, when I was saying buy a used car this was never one of my reasons but it, it it's come to the surface as is a reason. It, it kind of- it kind of sounds like a just-in-time, if we're talking business terms, a just-in-time, it, like it's an inventory system, it's just-in-time car buying system. Yeah, because the store is not going to stock 10 years with an inventory to find out, oh, this product isn't selling anymore, right? And then what do I do with all this inventory? So th- this car isn't working for me anymore. What do I do with all this car inventory? So it, yeah, so that, that's, that's probably as important a reason to not buy a new car than the financial ones. It's, it's equally as important because you'll end up with a car that is, is, is no longer useful and you paid all the depreciation costs up front. Yeah. So I would say both emotionally and if we're looking math based, it, it checks out. And I think you, it, so I would guess most cars that are bought new are bought emotionally, like through emotion. Nobody, nobody's going in there with spreadsheets buying brand new cars. You know, saying, <laughs> Oh, this is going to depreciate uh, a lot when I drive. I think it's like 30% or it's some crazy number when I drive and, it off. The and lot. I'm going to say, all of these things require effort. So buying a used car requires effort. It, you got to, you have to make concessions when you're buying a used car. You're not going to get the color you want or it's not going to have all the features you want. So you're going to make some concessions and it's going to be effort. You're going to have to look for it. It's not, you're not going to just pick it off of a website. So it, it, it comes with, with some effort. So let's move on to point number three for um, deliberate lifestyle choices that lead us to financial independence and Number three is always buy or rent your current housing needs. So this one is near and dear to my heart. So this is where people, mostly when you're buying a house, but this happens with renting too, is you will 
you'll buy a house, maybe a four-bedroom house with a 2,700 square feet, family room, four bathrooms, dining room, the whole everything, and there's just two people living in it. And you bought the big house in anticipation of a large family. That may or may not come to fruition. So people will, will and I have people in my neighborhood that have done this. They've, they've moved into a house. It, it, it's, it's got four bedrooms, like I said. It's got, it got three, four bathrooms. And there's just two people living in it. And, and there's a lot of expense that go with, you got property tax, you got windows, roofs, all this expense in, 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 and the thing is when you just say you're going to have a big family, when I look back, there's a, there's like a 10, maybe eight to 10 year window of time where I really, really needed all that space. And so when my kids were really young, I couldn't let them too far out of my sight. So a big house was actually a burden. And then when my kids were older, they were almost never home. They were always had out at friends or out at events. And then, then of course, they move out and, and they, they come to visit periodically. So the window of time where I needed that house was so small that I, th- I think I could have managed in a smaller house. I wouldn't have been ideal, but I would have been resourceful. It, you, you would just, you know, for the eight to 10-year window, it's probably more like eight, you would just sort of manage with the space you have. So I think my big question, maybe some on our listeners' mind right now, is what about transaction costs? I mean, it's expensive to to buy a home and then and then sell it again and then do that again a few times. So let's just say you did buy a big four bedroom house in a institution of a big family. You never had that family. It's those same transaction costs that are going to keep you in that house that you don't need. So they can work for you or against you. I'd rather roll the dice on the transaction costs than pay all the interest all the maintenance they're, they're, they're easy to predict like because like like even though it's going to cost you you know like it's going to happen so many times whereas if you have too big of a house or whatever it you're you're gonna you're, you're gonna get used to that extra space like life lifestyle inflation which that's harder to see and then there's a domino effect like you said there's maintenance costs and stuff that, that that that's harder to see in the long term whereas like if you say you have to buy five different houses instead of one well you know five different times you're gonna have that that transaction True, but but the reality is, uh, chances are you're gonna just make it work. You're gonna get to. I was I was gonna say that like you have you have, if you have twins like you, Trevor, I'm sure you didn't you you lose. How do your twins? You're like okay, let, let's let's deal with this. Yeah, you're just gonna make it work because because if you end up buying more house than you need, chances are you're you're borrowing as much money as the bank will possibly give you or approve you for, which is gonna make you right on the financial edge. Because like we always say. N plus one. I mean, how much is enough? It's it never is. If you if you look at a house, is just and I like to refer to a house. There's there's houses and then there's homes, and I prefer to live in a home. And a home is somewhere where you feel safe and secure and comfortable. Well, if you're in a house that you can barely afford, you're not going to feel safe. You're not going to feel secure, and you're going to constantly be uncomfortable financially. So, uh, a house that is Bigger than is you know right on the the most the bank would approve you for is probably the wrong house. You know the best family stories are the ones where I was tripping over the other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and then so when it comes to renting, it's kind of the same deal. If just say you rented a really fancy apartment, it's kind of like buying the new, the the new car. To if you ended up renting more apartment than you could have you know, you could just afford or, or barely afford it, but it was really in a nice area and it's, it's super upscale. Regressing back to something that's more in your budget becomes really hard. 
Well, I find too, like it, it also depends on location. Like if you're, if you're living, let's say on the edge of a city, you're going to pay about two thirds less than what you would be paying like right downtown. And so it also depends on like, I mean, if you wanted to, let's say, save money by not having to bus, it would be beneficial to find a place that is roughly around the same as a bus pass downtown. But if it's triple the cost of a bus pass, then it's just worth doing that extra little bus route. See, and I love the way you're approaching this. There's no emotion in that, 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 that decision-making process. It's all mechanical calculations. And that's how you should... That's how you should pay, choose your housing situation, not not through emotion. Like, I, I hear people say, "Oh, this place just speaks to me," and, and, and that drives me crazy. You're you're buying it like with blinders on. You're just throwing caution to the wind. So let's move on to point number four. Uh, so our fourth deliberate lifestyle choice is never be victim to lifestyle inflation. And this point really is about. When, like Michael referred to earlier, when when your income increases, don't let your lifestyle increase with that and with that um, that that raise because the reality is you will always kind of I think I don't know tell like tell me if I'm wrong about this, but you'll always kind of have that in- instinct to inflate your lifestyle given given the means. Well, and have you, has everyone has been victim to this at some level? Have any of you ever? Um, been victimized by lifestyle inflation like has anything ever like there must be some aspect of your life where you've used sort of and we, so let, let's define it so lifestyle inflation is where you it's not the one-off expenses but it's the every month every week every day expense that in, in, encroaches into your life so it's that that expense that that just it's it's continuous Gucci granola bars. Yeah, Gucci <laughs> granola bars. You get a, you get an appetite for those, and it, that's inflation. And I think, I, I personally think it all stems from the I deserve this mentality. I mean, you've you've worked hard at work. You've worked for this promotion. You've worked for this raise. No, no, I you know what? I think those this. are more the one-offs. It, it goes back to the diet thing, like I was saying. Like that, That's where people, they, they're, they're doing what they think's, like, I'll, I'll call it the right thing, but they're not doing it for the right reasons. Like, I, I think that's... That's where, like, I agree, like, you deserve it or whatever. I, I, so here's an example of less inflation. Let's just say you have cable, which I don't think you should ever have. There's so many cheaper options out there. But just say you had cable and you upgraded your cable package just to see what the movie channel was all about or some s- super sports channel. And you you watched it for a couple months and decided it wasn't for you, but you never did cancel that. You know, you, you kind of let your life inflate by cable. Or maybe you do watch it, but you, there was other things you could have watched. Or let's just say you you started eating Gucci granola bars, <laughs> whatever those are. And once you got a, an appetite for those, you, you just you couldn't stop eating them. But it's it's introducing things into your life and that are one step better than you had before. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess what's what's another one? I guess like okay, here here here's a, like so Trevor, I know because I we we share this together. We uh, like to watch CFL football, and we have TSN. Go Red Blacks. Go Red Blacks. Saw a game last night. They won. Um, uh, so so is, is that not lifestyle inflation? Like, that was something that, uh, like, now it's an extra cost that, that's there every month, and it's something that will now say next season or h- halfway through the season, we say we don't want to do it anymore. Well, now all of a sudden, like, we're so accustomed to that. Like, so you know, you know what the difference is? So I used to have TSN through a cable subscription. And to cancel 
the cable subscription was a big ordeal. I mean, you had to send back cable boxes and have things disconnected and pay a disconnection fee. The difference is this TSN, when the season's over, I can discontinue my subscription. I can cancel my subscription and it's over. So, so that, that's in a, a case where... I, but now, no, say, say next season, okay? Are you, like, so, so would you next season, knowing the service is out, would you be able to say, no, I'm not going to get this? Like, or Because like, this is now all of a sudden that's part of your, your lifestyle. Like, well, I think the difference too is like they're, they're within these budgets and stuff, within these lifestyle choices, you still have to allocate time for hobbies and passions. You can't completely cut everything out of your life, especially if it's something that you really enjoy. Now, let's say that's the only thing that Trevor spends his extra money on. That's not bad. If it's something that he That's really true. drives it, passion, you from, know you can afford. It's it. not bad. So, just to your point, I, I was what I always had a sports channel of some kind in my life. So, and I had Rogers Sportsnet. Then, when TSN came available, what did I do? I canceled my Rogers Sportsnet to try TSN. So, I kind of gave up one to try the other. I didn't try to have them both. I, I, I want to, I want to get back to the, the kind of the. Razor but wait, wait! I, I think we should give example. Like we still yet to give an example of where we have fallen victim to lifestyle inflation. So, well, didn't so, we kind of? Well, I guess that's not one. I was going to say that. Well, you're trying to point out things that I might have. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm sharing this with you. I this, want this. you to <laughs> tell us how you've inflated your life. Well, well, I want to. I want to get back to the like the, the kind of the, what I what I was saying about when your when your income increases because this happened to me when I started out the position uh, or the place I'm at now my my in, my income increased and i think when you're kind of like soaking in this extra income you didn't have before i think th- that moment right there anytime you get a raise anytime you switch jobs and your income increases i think that is really a very pivotal moment cuz it kind of sets your 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 mind in, in a certain direction. You're either going, like, oh, I have more money for enter- entertainment, my entertainment side of the but, budget. But how does I, it creep in? Is it like, do you, do you, is it's it, a slow, does, it's a slow is creep it, that you don't is, realize Do you start buying happening. the latest phone every time it comes out? Or do you upgrade your phone plan? Or, or maybe do you start shopping for more expensive foods? Or you buy more, maybe you go clothes shopping every weekend like is that sort I think of all uh, the above and then more it's not i don't think it's the big kind of i mean you so you make you, you guys make the the cf the the cf cfl yeah huge football CFL. fan here oh huge <laughs> <laughs> so, so football went um no but so, you, so that's kind of a one-off purchase i'm thinking lifestyle inflation is the things that are constantly in your life, the decisions you make every single day. So you choose because you have a little extra money. You choose maybe to eat out more often. I, I was choose, good to say that one. You choose to, you all the little decisions that add up. You all expand the your social expenses. circles. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You expand, and I think I think it's all the little things. I don't think it's the big things. No. I think it's the little things. It's kind of how much. Well, maybe say, how much you allot to discretionary day, spending. Like, like, well, eating out, I was gonna say every day you go out and say you buy your your, your Tim Hortons coffee or Starbucks coffee. Like that's like that little bit of extra money that every day it's it's chewing away and stuff. I, I think like a, a good example for myself was um, a couple of years ago when I had gotten uh, a raise and a new title, and I was a, a store manager. I got a little bit extra, like an hour. And I noticed that when I was hanging out with friends and stuff like that, typically they'd go out like two or three times a week for drinks. I usually would only go out once with them. 
but then I, I found myself having a little bit more in my account and I was a little bit more comfortable. So I'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll come out with you guys. I'll have one or two and then I'll go home. And then I found myself doing that more and more, more frequently, spending more every time I went and ended up going out all three times every time they would go out. So that's that's one way that it slowly does creep onto you because you usually would have been like, no, but now you, you think you have a little bit more. So you're more willing to be like, okay and you'll give in to that peer pressure you'll give in to those it's all those happening at the subconscious out. level though exactly. yeah exactly that's a really it's good not one. something you directly is, is notice the peer pressure like you see other people doing things and you're like oh that seems like a fun thing like and, FOMO. And, and, and you yeah you follow along and all of a sudden you're coming to that like i know um uh i have a roommate he uh participates a lot in yoga and that's something that can be really expensive. And I'll join him every once in a while. But I make sure to catch myself. I'll, I enjoy it. But it can be a very expensive thing that, like, if you keep doing it all the time. And like, so I think it's one of those things where you just got to be aware of what sometimes you can be sucked into. Like, And, you know, I said social circles. Just say you, you had a friend who was into going out to bars. You had another friend that was into yoga and another friend that was into some other expensive sport. If you try to participate in all of the things, so just, say your friends, your one friend just does yoga, that's his thing, and your other friend just goes out drinking. So That's a good point. So, and, and that's their thing, but, but you're trying to do all of those things with all of those people. That's you, you have to be able to pick, just like all them, they've picked one, you, you have, have to be able to pick one. So, so kind of to, to your point, like I go back to the, the TSN thing, is if you just have the one, that's fine. But it's if you if you start trying to spread your wider, and that's when you start getting the influence of multiple things, and it starts inflating your life more. So here's something me and my wife have done, and it's it's called lifestyle deflation. And what we did is we said, okay, we're empty nesters now. How much money do we want to try to live off of when we're retired? What well, what's that income that we hope to live off of when we're retired? And can we? Well, a spreadsheet says, yeah, it could be done. Well, let's try living it. That's a cool challenge. Let's live. And, and you, you, you can't just sort of, you have to be deliberate with this, meaning all the excess money has to go somewhere where you can't get at it. Because it's going to get challenging. It's going to get a little uncomfortable, maybe. And you'll make, because you won't make the necessary adjustments to live off of that income that you hope to live off in your retirement if you know there's more money just over here, just in case I need it. You know what I like? Um, I, I don't use the app, um, but I, I like the name of it is um, Every Dollar. And it, I like the idea that um, it's a it's a budgeting app by Dave Ramsey. And uh, I like the idea of that is that all this excess money is instead of just having it there as this big pool, you're like, oh, I got lots of money I can spend, I can inflate my life, is if you actually assign that to things saying, I want to save for this, I want to save for that, or like I need all this for retirement or whatever, is that you start looking at it and you say, I actually don't have that as much like expendable money like that I that I think I do. But, like, but to make it work, this money has to be inaccessible. For lifestyle deflation to really work, this money has to be somewhere where it's not attached to any bank cards or anything. You have to literally go into a bank physically. Like you invested or whatever. And make like, a withdrawal. Like you, you, you don't want to paint yourself into a corner where you're... You, you know, you're going to suffer real hardship, but you make this money. So it literally getting this money is, is hard, make it difficult. And if it, it's just been, 
eye-opening to know that you know we this on this level of income it's super comfortable like like it's it's so comforting to know that i can you know we i can comfortably live off this this deflated income and and i i suggest everybody to try that so i have kind of two branch off questions from that my first question is i mean it sounds peachy and, and, and easy when you're talking about it now, but I mean, how, was it was it challenging to adopt? I mean, are you? I mean, you definitely must be someone who's naturally content. What deliberate choices did you well, make? Well, well, and what, what did you feel deprived? Like, how is that? So, you have to really, really want early financial independence more than than shiny things the next shiny so thing. give us an example what's something you cut out of your life to say okay i'm gonna make this work well i didn't yeah. cut anything out of my life see raising a family and having a mortgage and having car payments uh, we've had to live off less like our our discretionary income ha- had to be less than what we earned for most of our lives so when all those expenses went away we just did chose not to spend that excess money so that that takes a lot of self discipline. I mean, it must be. E- it would have been easy to be like, look at all this money. But if that money was just sitting around in a bank account, then the next shiny thing would have been pretty enticing. That is where you, I think you got to like earmark it towards. So you have to make it, it hard yeah, yeah. to get at that money. That's the whole thing that makes it work. So I kind of have a question for everyone now. Um, what would you say? I mean, what are the warning signs? If if you're li- if to our listeners right now, if they're listening to this and they're wondering, is my is my lifestyle is it inflating right now? What <laughs> Trevor's raving his hand. What are the the key telltale signs to really look to yourself and and say, yeah, my lifestyle has inflated. You should feel that at some point every week, every month, maybe every day, you should be faced with a financial decision. You should have to. You, you should have to decide between this or this. Is, is, is what? How do you know? If you're not making, if, if you don't have to decide on some regular basis whether I'm going to have this or this, because I know I can't have both. If you're, not, if you're not having to make those decisions, your lifestyle has inflated. Would you guys agree? No, not, not not like. Yeah, I don't know if I not fully. Not particularly. I, I, see, yeah. I see what you're saying, but I don't know if I fully agree with that. Because like the way I see it is if you're having to choose between something and something, you don't have enough money to choose both. So I wouldn't say your your lifestyle is is not inflating. I'd, I'd say it's already inflated. If you can't like afford both options, your lifestyle is probably already inflated. You should probably start either trying to cut some things back or putting more money aside to be able to afford both of those options. But I'm kind of saying if... If if everything you look at you just buy, like the, then there would be no restrictions or no limitations on your financial I, life. I see what you're saying. You you can't always be the yes man. Like you you gotta you gotta be able to at like some point you, say we're no. Saying you yeah, can't so you go to like, yoga and out to the bars with your buddies. So if you're not saying no, if you're not making because it's difficult to say no to your friend. Like if they let's go do something fun, you're like, and if you're always saying yes, if you're never yeah, saying so, so Jace, if you never said then, no, then you are inflating your life. But then. I, I gotta think like, like then, I I, I guess like because because I, I I would hope that like a you're putting constraints around your life or that's the wrong word but like I would hope that you're um like because I guess I never feel that way right like because I think I've I've structured my life where I, I'm not put in those situations because I think we're we're weak as humans we're always gonna crumble and we're always gonna say yes I think so like, you keeping those distractions out of your life yeah 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 I, so I think I I I. I 
I think you're putting yourself in a lot of hard situations, but I see your point that you, there's a lot of people and you, you're going to have to say no to things, but it's very hard. Like you, I think you got to structure your life. Like, like if every time you're at the mall, you just see it and buy it. Then why are you at the mall? <laughs> why are you in the Apple store? <laughs> well, I, th- I think what, like, what you're trying to say is, is make every decision a conscious decision. Yes. Be deliberate. So yeah, deliberate. A de- very deliberate, conscious decision. So it's not, it's not really choosing one or the other. It's just making sure that that's something that's going to benefit benefit you long term. Yeah, not. I agree with that. So let's move on to point number five. So we're halfway there. We have 10 items in our list of Trevor's deliberate lifestyle choices that are leading to early financial independence. And number five here is always be frugal, never be cheap. Okay, I'm leading this one off. So um, being like, so, so like if someone tell like, I, I have a like a bunch of examples it's happened to me a few times of where I, I go to make a, a, a choice. I go to buy something and I, I end up choosing the cheap option. I'm like, so it sticks in my mind. Uh, um, I like camping. So I, I went and bought um, these water shoes and I bought them from Canadian Tire. They were like $20 or whatever. And I'm doing these like long portages and stuff, get tons of blisters. So what I end up having to do like after the trip is I got to go out and buy these more expensive, nicer flip-flops or sorry, sandals I should have done in the first place. And so that's one of those things where in the long run, I actually ended up spending more money. And if I had probably wisely done it, I would have been um, smarter and I probably would have been like, like said, okay, let's go with the, the more quality ones, but maybe not the top of the line, not not like the the Gucci sandals here. Uh, that's my word of the day. But like, do do you know? Just do the, do the quality ones, so I'm not buying multiple ones. And I guarantee you, like like you get like like say like 60 percent of the population, they'll say, okay, I've done that before, where I go for the cheap thing, and I probably should have done like the frugal, like more quality option. But like I guarantee you, everyone's done this. Like, and it, and it's one of those things that if you're going back and you're you're having to say like like correct your decision or whatever, I think that's when you're going cheap. So devil's advocate, I know you recently bought a, a new watch, new inexpensive watch. Your your old watch broke. You just needed something to tell time. So, but you, you habitually go for that kind of inexpensive I was for the watch. Cheap watch. Yeah. Okay. Is it, is it cause it's because the water shoes maybe add more value? Like what's the, in the watch is just a watch and, okay. and, and maybe watches aren't as important to you other mm-hmm. than just as utility so purpose. I know Regardless of whether it's a cheap or expensive watch, I'm going to break it. Like I've had watches break in every way. So, but I also know that these watches, I buy them and they will last me. Like I'll change batteries in them. Like I'm talking $10 watches. Like I got a watch. I bought it at Shoppers Drug Mart, $10. And it's going to last me like, like two, three years. And I bought a watch before that. It lasts me two, three years. So I know they're going to last me a long time. And then they're, they're super inexpensive that when they break, I just throw them out. So I think it's, it's a very frugal expense. So I'm not buying these like Gucci watches that are just breaking all the time. And I'm like, oh my goodness, just, I got to go buy Just for the record, like, this podcast this is point. not sponsored by Gucci. <laughs> is, that, is that a brand? <laughs> okay, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Gucci, to educate Mike here, is an expensive, like high-end okay, brand I just thought, of clothing. I thought it was a word to say, this is fancy, okay? That's my intention with Gucci. No, no yeah, I, I would like to fight the point on the watches because it seems that you have to buy a watch every two to three years because you're buying a cheaper watch that will break more often often than not i think if you actually took the time to research like a really good quality watch from let's say a place like like sale or a place that's meant to 
be geared towards an outdoorsman. I, I did that. I did that. I, I got a watch. I had a really nice watch. Actually, it was given to me as a gift for Christmas. It was a really nice watch. And it broke. It was one of the quickest watches that broke on me. It broke, I'm going to say, in about six months. So at that point, I had I had bought these cheap watches. And I said after that, boy, am I going back to cheap watches. <laughs> I ain't looking back. So Because I have personally have a watch that I've had for almost 15 years now. And I've got I got it from an outdoor store, and it has been fine. And I am super rough on my watches. I used to work in an aquarium store, and it was in the water every day, all day, for eight hours a day. I'm going to have my watch people broke. contact your watch people, okay? <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll hear from me in 24 hours, okay? <laughs> so as it turns out, you're all wrong. <laughs> oh, snap. Mic drop. Of course we are. <laughs> surprise, surprise. So I think you're being cheap is if... Let's just say you were shopping at Value Village, which is a used clothing store. And just say you come under there with a bag full of used clothes, brand name clothes. And you're going to your car and you're saying, oh, I got to wear used clothes again. Just say that's your mindset when you walk out of the store. You were cheap. But if you walk out of that same clothing store with a bag full of clothes and you can't wait to get these clothes on. Get that suit on. If that's that $30 suit on, <laughs> you're just waiting for the, the plaid. <laughs> then, then you were frugal. So I think it's the same person could buy the same watch. And who wears a watch today? I haven't worn a watch in 10 years, but for, to each their own. <laughs> if you leave the store super excited that you got a Shopper's Drug Mart watch for $4.99 and it's going to last two years and you think this thing's awesome. Or if you left the outdoor store and you paid $80 for a watch that you know is going to last 10 years, so long you feel good about it and you feel you're getting value, and it's because yours is frugal because it's going to last you 10 years. So, you know, that to me, that's Jace, that's frugality. And Mike, yours is frugal because you paid so little for it, it, it doesn't have to last six months. They're both, they both are frugal if you feel good about your purchase. And to your point, kind of back up mind, drop moment. <laughs> is I, I think um, if you're leaving that value village with your clothes saying, damn, I got to wear these used clothes, you're going to end up going back to that new clothes store and buying those Gucci clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Gucci's Damn, taking a beating today. Gucci. I honestly didn't know it was a brand. But um so but like if you gotta go back and buy those nice clothes, you're making that mistake. So I think like it's that thing if you gotta go back, you're you're gonna end up at some point in time going back and correcting that mistake. And like but you said, that's when you were no, cheap. But you're you're approaching this mathematically. I'm saying this one is emotional. This one, no, but but you're, you're saying so when you walk out, so, so no, you but you're out, you're doing math. You're saying no, no, you're, no yeah, no, I'm I'm actually okay, no, no, because you're this. saying I'm buying it twice. I bought the used clothes. Now I got to go okay, buy the new okay, ones. Okay, no, so yours is straight math. I'm but, saying when it comes to being frugal or cheap, it's all about emotion. Okay, okay, no, no, but I, I agree with that. But so so if you walk at a Value Village and you only you you're like yes, I got that suit. When was the last time you bought a suit after that that suit you bought from Value Village? Never. You haven't bought one since. But say you bought that suit and you're like, damn, damn this suit sucks. <laughs> you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to buy another one, no. right? Yes. No, 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 but if, but if you're cheap, no, 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 no. If you're, if you're cheap, you're just going to keep wearing that suit because you're cheap. You're going to keep wearing that suit because I'm cheap. And you're going to say, I hope nobody notices. Yeah, yeah, even if you don't like the suit, you're going to wear it because it was cheap. Because that's that's no, 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 because because you're a cheap person, you're just gonna be wearing the suit and, and Mike, Mike, you're getting too logical. And being, with this. you're gonna just be miserable every time you put it on. Everyone who's ever been around me when I put the suit on, it's like, 
I don't know anybody who doesn't know I bought the suit at Value Village for 30 bucks. So I agree with you. You got to put some emotion into it. because It's if you all put about a, emotion. Because no, yeah, if you put emotion into it, you're, you're going to make a wise decision. You're going to take the time to make a decision you're happy with. But it's all about perception. Your perception of what, how you feel about the thing you got. You, if you feel, just say you're going camping, you bought a cheap tent at Walmart. And, and it rains and it leaks. You're going to be miserable. But if you got this $30 tent at Walmart and you just used it once and just say it, it re- rained and it leaked, you're going to say it barely leaked and it only cost 30 bucks. Or I can't believe this thing just is like a sieve. It just lets water in all night long. So if it lets water in, it's cheap. And if you're, if you're satisfied, then you're So it's yes. all based on your perception. It's all perception. It's yeah, yeah. all emotion. So if, if you feel miserable about what you, you're, 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 pro, you're not being frugal, you're just being cheap. So pick your thing. So you can't, you can't afford to be, buy high-end everything. But I, for instance, I like Apple iPhones. I don't know if I've ever mentioned what? that before. No, no, no. Hold the phone. Forever? Hold the phone. And I think I would be miserable if I were to buy a sort of an off-brand, I don't even know what an, another brand, did, did, did somebody else make phones? I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never heard of another phone, but if there were another phone maker and I had it, I'd probably be miserable carrying it around. And and you and you could you probably would only purchase anything but Apple maybe to to be to save money. But then in your opinion, that would have been a, a cheap. Yeah, it would have been cheap. So I, I would. You're right. But frugal was buying the not the latest model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the iPhone 10 is out. If I bought the iPhone 6s, just because I happen to know, is the oldest model they're selling right now. I would be frugal. So. I, it's, but, but would you be happy? I, I was about to ask that. I was about, would you no, be happy? I would because I would be. I would be. I would never buy the latest iPhone because I'm too frugal for that. It just, there's no practicality in it. I can't justify owning the latest phone. So, but the fact that I bought the, you know, two two curves behind the the latest technology, I'm I'm super excited that I got a real you know an Apple iPhone at a and I didn't pay a premium price for it. So I would be super... In fact, that's how I buy my iPhones. So let's move on to number six for another deliberate lifestyle choice we can make. And number six is only borrow money for things that go up in value. And so this, obviously, the obvious one is cars, right? Cars go down in value. But, but let's talk about things that go up in value. So if you borrow money for houses, they go up in value, you can recover from a mistake. And I think that is key, is you you can... You can recover. If you bought the house in the wrong neighborhood, in the wrong town, too big, too small, you can sell a house generally for more than you paid for it. Some transaction costs in there, but recover from that mistake. But if you bought a car you couldn't really afford or didn't really meet your needs, it's going down in value by the minute. You, to recover from that mistake, it's going to cost you money. And this is So if you borrowed, you may end up upside down on your loan so the only other thing I would borrow money for, so I'd borrow money for a house and I would borrow money for education. And because you, you go up in value with education. So you go up in value and it, it's, the, you know, where this falls apart is if somebody starts education, borrows money, but they never finish. And so they never end up with a salary that helps them extinguish that debt. So, so you, you have to actually follow through. So the only two things I would recommend you borrow money for are houses like real estate and education hi trevor i'm a concerned listener and i concerned listener 
and I'm kind of, I'm kind of, this is my first car that I'm buying and I don't know if I can buy it all out in cash. So Jace mentioned a, a Jeep he saw for $1,800. <laughs> so I'm saying if you bought that Jeep for $1,800 and you just, just say you could keep it on the road for two years, the amount of money you can save not having car payments for two years would probably buy you a $3,000 car two years from then. So now you got you just upgraded, you almost doubled your car value, right? So you're getting twice the car you had. Drive that for three years and you can save up maybe five, maybe eight grand that you would have been putting into car payments. So in a, in a real short window of time, you're already in something super current, super reliable, but you have to be... Well, I'm guessing you'd want to also to make sure you set aside a good chunk of money to maintain that car though. Because there will be issues with it, more than likely, because it is a used car. Well, I'm saying, I think cars are more reliable than people give them credit for. They really are. Like, I'm driving a, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old car. Uh, one has uh, almost 250,000 kilometers on it, one has 220. And I'm not looking over my shoulder at, at repairs. Like, they seem incredibly reliable you watch on my way home i'm gonna break down and have to get towed off the highway but <laughs> they're super reliable cars and I, I think people just and i'm guilty of this my wife will tell you i, I keep saying you know we gotta start looking at new cars they're they're getting older but I, I think you get a lot of car for your money right now now what if say like you like you don't have any money saved up but like you're you need a car like like now like like and you have to take take a loan like is there a case where it's justifiable to have that loan like well to be in a position where you need something now you're always going to be at the mercy of credit you know if, if you haven't planned for something generally borrowing money is going to be the only solution and that's why we go back to point number one budgeting oh, is yes. a way of nah, full circle yeah. so uh, and also if you're operating on the mindset that uh an emergency arose and I need it now, you can't also be pursuing early financial independence. You know, they just don't go together. They, they don't, you can't share the conversation with those two things. So let's move on to point number seven. So our seventh. Trevor, well, I seventh. want to go back. Wait, wait. So can you guys think of anything? So cars is an easy one, but if something you could say you should borrow money for, that, is there some other thing you think that goes up in value? that you would consider borrowing money for? I've considered borrowing money for land, like land outside of Ottawa, like in the boonies, um, getting like three acres for 40 grand. Eventually what you can do when the price of land goes up, and it always will, is you can divide that land and only sell parts of it. And then you will get back that investment, sometimes almost So uh, when often you talk about houses, it, it's real estate. So I, I put land in the same conversation, but I would agree gotcha. with you. Yeah. It's a smaller investment, but it is going to go up in value. It's, it's speculation that it's going to go up in value, right? It's yeah. yeah. Whereas the house kind of serves a dual purpose. It's going to go up in value. Plus you can live in it. So it's more of an investment, but I, I would be willing to borrow money for an investment like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got a situation here. Um, so I, I work for a company where um, you can buy into the company and they have very good return on your investment. So I've heard of cases where some of the employees, um, they'll, they'll borrow money from the bank 
and that that uh, the interest rate on the repayment of that loan is lower than the the rate they're getting back. So then they the what they make off like the the dividends each year, they use that to pay back their loan. So what's your thought? Like, yeah, I feel like that's betting on a hope and a prayer. Though. Yeah, like, yeah. What happens if your 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 business's stock crashes? One, you're out of job, yeah, yeah. and now two, you're out all, all your eggs are in you one basket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's, that's, so, a, that's a, it's a risky plan. one. See, see, the difference with real estate is is not saying it has never gone down in value, but it generally like long long term it's, it's going to stay know, up. Whereas yeah. is is stocks and companies, their value can go Always up and down rate. day to day. Yeah, yeah. So that one, I, I would be not not so comfortable with. What about borrowing money to start a business? I feel like that's like just as risky though. Yeah, because yeah. businesses, especially smaller businesses these days, aren't doing very well. Like most of them will will close within the first three or four years of operation, especially if they're relying just on the money that they because yeah, you always hear that stat like don't expect to make any income for the first for the year. first five years. So yeah, yeah. so it's like. That's a that's a lot of time. There's a lot of interest growing in that. But that. but what if you got a unique idea, like it's some sort of new technology, new, new. Well, well like let's circle back to what Jay said. Go back around point one, like budget for it. You know, like 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 set some yeah, money yeah. So aside. Then, so plan then maybe for that, that time business. you're planning, you're coming up with a more efficient, more frugal yeah, way. But some businesses business. require some money just to get it off the ground. Yeah, so so save for that. Like like instead of like like um like I guess like, like I said with that car, instead of just saying I, I need to start this business now. Like and I, like like just take your time, maybe maybe plan it a bit. Like, you know, figure out how can I save a bit of money on the waste. Like also too, don't go it alone. Look into getting a silent business partner, someone who is willing to also front some of the costs. Don't just do it all on your no, own. No, I agree with you guys. I, I just wanted to throw out there I, I think borrowing money to start a business is is as risky, if not riskier, than borrowing money to buy stocks. So I, I would agree yeah. with you. Guys. Oh yeah, definitely. So in this case, you guys were right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the little wins. So point number seven for Trevor's deliberate lifestyle choices that are leading him to early financial de- independence is point number seven: learn your financial weaknesses early in life. Everyone has at least one. So I think everybody knows what mine. Mine is consumer electronics, but. I, to to walk around and pretend you don't have any financial weaknesses, you, you're just fooling yourself. And if you want to know what your financial weaknesses are, you you need somebody in your life who who will be brutally honest with you. You need a lot, a lot of times it's your life partner, but you need somebody you can go to and say, you know, do I need this or am, am I just caving into my weaknesses? So. I, my, so mine is consumer electronics. I know what it is. I have somebody who helps keep me honest, my wife, and she often reminds me or questions when I want to buy something. She has a very gentle, subtle way of saying, you know, how is that different than the one you already have? And I, I, every time a new Bluetooth earbud comes out, I, I just come up with all sorts of adjectives and descriptions of how this thing is dramatically different than the uh, one that's currently in my ear. And usually she you know helps me through my weak moment but so you guys must have one uh we had a podcast meeting earlier and i was told to come up with one so i think i came up with one i save too much i spend too little and i'm just too financially wise wow (laughs) no so i i think my actual one would um it it would be I, i think i have a tendency um uh, kind of uh, probably with that, like um, the the cheap versus frugal thing. I have a tendency to almost 
um, try to try to find ways to, to to get by without say spending a little bit that it, it ends up coming that thing that it's it's not enjoyable. Like I know I've done a lot of things where I, I reflect back and I say I should have probably just done it right the first time. And and if anything, it would have saved me a lot of a lot like a lot of frustration and maybe all those times I was trying to do like the cheaper way. It probably added up to the grand scheme of what that more frugal option would have been. And I I know that's something I I've done a lot. So you're just to summarize. So you're Financial weaknesses is being too short-sighted. Too yeah, too too short-sighted. Like like I, I like seeing that. Like you know what? Like 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 uh, actually, like I said before, those um those uh, water shoes. I bought the cheap ones, thinking just about the trip I was going on. And I know I've done that with actually. I'm really bad with it for shoes specifically. And I, I don't think about the fact that they're gonna last me like for many years. Like I'm gonna go on many trips with these. So let's get it right for all of them. And and chances are, if if, if you can actually spread it over more trips, it's it's becoming cheaper per like or if you can spread it over a longer period of time it's going cheaper like you know like see i, I when i talk financial weakness I, I i think it's usually an emotional thing mm-hmm. you know it's not a logical well, I, I think i think it's like it's kind it's i i guess it's, if i think in some ways it's an i guess maybe it's a logical thing or an emotional thing but I, I think i'm thinking at that time and thinking wow that's a lot of money to dish out and i'm thinking specifically like i said short-sighted so i feel like in some way it's kind of an emotional thing well mike in a sense i mean if it, like your watch, for example, if you can get by if, with a with a with a cheap watch, it's gonna do the job. It's gonna keep time. It's gonna be comfortable. It's gonna it's gonna last. And I mean, so the same thing with the water shoes. If if you can, you're, the cheaper water shoes, you had no idea they might no, have this, lasted. This they isn't about being cheaper frugal, though. This is this is a weakness where you can't help yourself. So, so, like so you, that, that might be you can't get out of your own way. Th- that might be part of it. Is is maybe like to your point? Because I'm just thinking with with what Courtney said. Is, is there's logic there where I'm saying I'm kind of trying to apply the same logic to everything where I'm saying well my cheap watch or I should say my frugal watch my frugal watch works quite well so why not apply that to other things so whereas I, I think I, I almost need to apply a bit of emotion to it and ask that thing how am I actually going to feel about this and, and so that, that could even be maybe the the deeper underlying thing is 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 I need to assess like there are going to be some decisions that you maybe need to add a like a little bit emotion. of emotion to it and um yeah. Okay. I feel like it goes against what we were saying before. So that's I a felt pretty like we said feeble. Don't add emotion. So for Mike, give us a pretty feeble effort at at a financial weakness. So we might come back to him because I'm not really happy with that. Let's go to Courtney. So mine, mine is kind of like Michael's, but a, but a little bit. You different. save too much, so. man. <laughs> I know. Same problem. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's. I would say I, I am too frugal, but I don't have a problem with it. But other people in my life, like my partner, thinks that it is that that it's something no, that being less frugal is something I could benefit what from. What is it you're buying that you shouldn't be buying? This is your okay, financial Okay, weakness. so but along the same lines, I'm, Let, I'm gonna let's keep get going. Jace's. We need a better example. You guys are pathetic. So, so Courtney, being my life partner, also kind of shows me that I have a problem doing the exact same thing. So I have a tendency to spend a little bit too much living life. I am the type of person who emotionally likes to enjoy myself. And I don't like limiting myself all the time. I think limiting yourself is very important. I think having a budget is very important. But when it comes to missing out on a good life opportunity, like going camping or going on a trip to the cottage, I'm willing to invest that money instantly without hesitation to have that 
two or three days of But there's a weakness I can get behind. <laughs> now, that being said, but Court... I don't think it's bad. Her, her, her weakness is the opposite. She has issues not wanting to spend that money. And so she hesitates every time where she will miss out on life opportunities because she doesn't See, want to spend I, that money. And so we kind of balance okay, each other out really nicely. I, I, th- I think... Yours example was good. So finally somebody, but, but hold on, hold on. You guys are talking cheap versus frugal. What's your financial weakness? What is it you... Well, court won't spend no, 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 money. No, but what that's, is it you do spend weakness. money on that you, reg- even if it was a good thing to spend, but you, you still, you regret it. So, so my thing is, it, it's a shoe example too, but I have a lot of different pairs of shoes okay. that Here we go, here we go. <laughs> it's coming to the surface. Yeah. So, so I had this conversation with Jace the other day, but I, cause I, I was mentioning to him, like, I can't wear, I, I was like, Jace, what's the weather going to be like? He's like, ah, it might rain. I'm like, okay, I have to wear the flip-flops I can wear in the rain, but I'm like, but it's going to be sunny for a few hours. So maybe I should wear the, the ones that I, that can go just in the sun. And then maybe I should pack the ones that can go in the rain. And, and it was just this, but maybe my feet will get too hot. Maybe I should wear like covered shoes. So, here, and- so having a financial weakness is create a secondary problem. With you have the shoe anxiety, right? Which ones were so? You, not only do you spend maybe more than you wish you did on footwear, you also struggle with what shoes. It it, it, it becomes a compound problem because now you have more shoes. I have the same problem with the earbuds. When I'm traveling, I, I have travel. Like I don't know what earbuds to bring, so I bring them all, right? And then I gotta charge them all. And I I think the point is I have three shoes and they're all enough. <laughs> But but the thing is, is uh, we've had this conversation. I mean, uh, the, the solution to my problem would be go out, buy an expensive pair of multi-purpose shoes that are going to look nice, be functional with dresses and be functional with different things. You you If you know your financial weakness, then have somebody in your life to help you control it. So you don't need a solution. You just need somebody to help you manage it. Because it, it's it always going to come up. You, it's not something... It's a weakness. I don't, I'm not saying conquer it. Just be aware of it. Just know your financial weakness and have some way of managing it. So so you're saying because your financial weakness can all fit inside your suitcase. <laughs> I can bring okay. them all. <laughs> but, but it, you know, keeping track of them, making sure they're all charged, it's a problem. So, so Jace gave us a solid example. We, we squeezed one out of Courtney, and she's redundantly believes it's a weakness. Mike, it's on you. I, I, I so I, I think I, like, I think Mike's Maybe Mike's too perfect. perfect. Yeah, I'm just too perfect. He has to move on. No, but, like, I, I think, so, so, like, the thing I was trying to get at was that I, I end up repeating a lot of, of, um, things I, I buy, because I always go, I seem to opt for the cheap option. So, I think that's a thing. Like, we're so, so, like, like I said, like, I, I, it's, it's a recent experience I had, and actually, I'm going to go through a third time, is, is I, twice, I, I've done these cheap, like water shoes and I'm doing these like 1k portages when I go canoeing getting blisters really sucks I'm always wishing I had done a little bit more research had made more like taken more consideration into my decision so I think it's one of those things where I I keep so like no matter how you do the math on it it's gonna be a more expensive thing and I it's something I keep often doing I keep thinking oh I'm gonna get away with that cheap option it's gonna work for me and it's one of those things where I need to stop and say will it actually work so if you had somebody who said like who's always there and say, Mike, just buy the better one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be financially further ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not talking like top of the line here, but I'm saying like take that one when you when you got option one, option two, option three, and like you're saying, oh, I'm going to go for option one, the cheapest one. Maybe, oh, go for option two, the the, the one that's going to be a little step up that's probably going to be the better one. Okay. Instead of having but, to repeat that option where you spent money on option one and now you got to 
spend more money option two. And that always hurts a ton. And I always look back and I'm like, damn, I should have went for option two originally. So it's, it's one of those things that always comes back to haunt me. But, but we always say, I mean, you can have a little bit of everything, but you can't have a lot of everything. Did I say that right? No, no, no not at all. <laughs> you can have anything you want. You just can't have everything you yes, want. So. Yes. So to the to our point, do you do you do that with everything in your life, or do you the how, how do you decide on for which for which items in your life you go option two, or do you always well, go option to, two? To, I think it was that thing like the logic thing we said. I think I always try to apply the same logic to everything. Where I I so I I think because I was kind of contradicting one of our earlier points is I said I need to use more emotion. I don't think I need to use more emotion, but I just need to realize that each there's going to be different situations which maybe i need to apply different logic to like like i need to i can't look at everything i can't look at my watches through the same lens as buying my uh my water shoes right like i i gotta be able to say okay i works really well for me to buy really cheap watches but that doesn't work for me for water shoes like so i i gotta be able to 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 kind of say okay look at these with different lenses and i need to stop and be able to assess which lens i need to look through I think though, like option two usually is the the smartest option to go for yeah, yeah. always because like long term you're gonna spend less money than if you always go for the cheaper version. Like it's always worth getting the mid range version versus getting the cheap version. Like even with cars, even with anything, if if I were to get a five hundred dollar Jeep off Kijiji, it's probably not gonna get me very far. If I'm gonna get a two thousand dollar Jeep off of Kijiji, probably gonna get me a lot farther. I think you can almost always apply that to just not being cheap, but being frugal. I think there are times where the cheap one can work, like just as well. Like I think there are some cases, like. But, but I, do you want to just like squeeze by with the cheap option, or do you want to be able? I to mean, my ten dollar watch from Shoppers seems to work pretty nice. Um, I think you brought up a good point. So there's there's things in your life that are just a utility, like your watch. Yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. things that you hope to get true enjoyment from that's true so let's circle back around to jace's thing so so with his car you're looking for utility right or are you you're, you're kind of looking for a bit of enjoyment out of that is right i'm looking for a bit of both like uh, the jeep is not going to be just utility like i'm going to use it to get from point a to point b which is work and home but i also want to be able to take it camping and go off-roading and, yeah, yeah and have that freedom to to travel so around i, I like that i i think i think there's some um your weakness would be separating things that are utilities in your life to the things that you hope to really get enjoyment from. Yeah, because yeah, because obviously when I buy these these water shoots, I'm going on camping trips, which I really want to enjoy. So I I, I don't want like blisters because that takes away from the trip. So yeah, that's true. Like I, I you you need to be able to. to so yeah, your yeah, weakness yeah. would be separating those two. Separating the two. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Wow, yeah. that took a lot to get that out of my. <laughs> Man, <laughs> I'm a tough lemon to squeeze. <laughs> So let's move on to point number eight of 10 for deliberate lifestyle choices that will lead us to early financial independence. Point number eight here is, and we've kind and we kind of touched this on a little bit earlier, Trevor, you kind of mentioned it, but number eight here is plan to live on half your income by the time you were 50. And so this is, again, you want financial independence early in life. I mean, if you want to work till you're 65 or 70, this is not required. But if you want early financial independence, you're going to have to, it, this becomes a, a double-edged sword. So by living off of at least half your income, you're obviously saving half your income and you're practicing frugality and resourcefulness by, by, by managing your lifestyle on half your income. 
So you're, you're actually proving to yourself you can live off less if necessary. So Trevor, is this something you actively practice? This is something I'm doing right now. This is these, the life, lifestyle deflation I talked about. So and you can't sort of play around the edges of this and pretend you're doing it. You literally have to get the money out of your life that you don't want to spend. Okay. Now, no, why, why do you say by the time you're 50? Like, why, why, why not, like, like, say for someone who's in their 20s well, who doesn't like, have dependents? I, I, have, I, I have a strong opinion on this. Like, I feel like living on half your income by the time you're 50, like, that's not possible for someone who's on minimum wage or someone who is working, like, just started working and they're not making much money. You can't afford to live on half your income. No, by the time you're 50. By the time you're 50, yeah, this is definitely geared and, towards and the like reason 30 I'm, plus. I'm saying, so by the time you're 50, you're probably earning the most amount of money you're ever going to earn. So as, as, I'm, I'm making that assumption, right? So this goes back to the lifestyle inflation thing where, where like, as you're, in theory, as you move through your career, you should probably be getting some raises and stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm that, talking about. That you're, you're not increasing your life. So, so you should see if you were to, graph both of these you'd see your your lifestyle probably staying fairly level but maybe maybe a slight increase whatever but then you'd have the other one increasing like like higher up so that at the point where it does change from like both being at the same point to the you having yeah and, and chances are you know if you're a couple you you've got uh, two incomes at the highest they're ever going to be in your 50s to statistically speaking i've looked this up this is when people make their most amount of money in their lives I know when you're 20, so I'm looking at people who are in their 20s, this seems insane, right? But when you're in 20, you need so many things that you, there's so many things yet to acquire in your life. You, the, the want list or the need list goes on forever. But by the time you're 50, you've acquired everything you need plus some. So you're dealing just with wants at this point, not well, needs. I was going to say, usually at that point, you're trying to get rid of stuff. Well, yeah. Or get rid of stuff. But you, literally, the only thing in front of you at, at that age is wants. Needs needs are gone, right? For most people. Like, I'm not saying everybody, but the average Canadian, you're, you're really just staring. And so if you can not succumb to your needs, this this becomes easy. Like, assuming you're not living on, on minimum wage, because if you are at 50... I'm not suggesting you should live off half your income, but. And I guess, I mean, living off 50% of your income sounds drastic, but I mean, when, when you're close to retiring, early retirement, if that, I mean, Trevor, you're, you're approaching that soon, you're not going to feel deprived because living off half your income means you are achieving your end goal of early financial independence. And let's just say 50% of your income becomes uncomfortable. Just say it's, it's, it it makes your life uncomfortable. Well, then you've opened your eyes to you know, can I retire? Like, just just give it a test drive, right? Because if you don't like it, what do you do? Well, you can go back to living on more, right? So, but you learn something about yourself. You learn about your resourcefulness. You learn about what what you can and can't do or the changes you're willing to make or not willing to make. And I'm just saying, try this for a month. You got to try this for like a year, right? And see if it can be done and see if you can make the necessary adjustments. Well, so, so like, let's, um, I, I want to see if like this can be extended farther here. Is so we were saying for someone. So say in theory, someone is approaching their fifties. They're working a minimum wage job, and like like so obviously this rule probably won't be able to work for them. But how can you ad- assess that? Like if that if somehow that will like um if like if they're still being financially wise or whatever. Because like like so you're you're basically saying like I, I feel like with this rule we're saying if if you're not spent like 
if you're spending more than half of your income at age 50, like you're, you're not being financially so, smart. So again, so, like, so, so financial independence early in life, you had to, you didn't have to make a huge income over your lifetime, but you had to earn an, I'm going to say it. You either have to be super frugal or be some, have an, an above average income at some point in your life to be even entertaining early financial independence. And when I was in my twenties, I was making, I can say, horrible money. You know, I would, we were just getting by. So we, we, so the thought of doing this in my 20s was like, no, no, this isn't going to happen. But it, as you sort of claw and scratch and your income goes up and opportunities present themselves, your, your, your needs and wants start to be satisfied. And, and this becomes, but you have to be deliberate about this. Like it has to be something you want. I guess the thing I, I'm seeing with this is is it, it I feel like it's income dependent and I feel like like it, it should be See, based it's on not, but if I could take you back to my twenties, I I mean, we were just getting by. Like we really were. We were just getting the bills paid. So it, it, it looks from your twenties it looks impossible. Cause I was gonna say I feel I feel like we're we're creating the assumption here that everyone's gonna like to, to Jason's point like what, what if you're making minimum okay, wage if like, you're making like, minimum wage I'm, I'm, and you're 50 yeah, yeah. then this plan's probably this plan not gonna work, work. okay okay because yeah because I, like honestly in in this day and age a lot more people aren't succeeding and they're not getting those careers and they're more than likely still working a minimum wage job at 30 or 40 so i guess that's the thing like what what's that is there is there another rule that we can assess this off of like you take a a, a couple I'm not saying it's not possible, but I like the chances of one of them earning an average or above average wage in a family. Do you know what I mean? Like, I get that maybe both of you don't, but this isn't, so this isn't, this plan isn't for everybody. Early financial dependence is not available to everybody or then we wouldn't be calling it early, right? It would be, do we just call it retirement, right? So well, no, I, I think to, to kind of back your point, even though I've been the devil's advocate for the most part here, um, these 10 points is how you get to that point. Most of it's through frugal living, right? And and if you earn an above average wage and you practice all of these, you will be spending 50% of your income. Yeah, and, but without like following these points, more than likely you'll never be able to get to that point. I agree, yeah. 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 So to you guys, I'm going to say, tell me if I'm wrong, this looks like a pie in the sky you know, never going to happen. It's possible, but with this outline. But but do you, the fifty percent of your income at age fifty does that sound like something that I I, I don't think it's crazy. No, no, like I, no, I, no, no. I well, I'm just if I'm someone would have told me that at twenty something, I would have said you are out of your mind. I would have because I, I I could not see it happening, and I didn't have any idea how I would ever get to something like that. But it happened to me, and I, I wasn't you know climbing the corporate ladder or, or you know knocking on every door trying to earn money so it and i i i, I want to go back to that i think that's a really key point here i mean our, our listeners may be saying what does trevor do like how how aggressive has he been climbing gonna, the corporate like i think i think that's a good point like it's not but you know i did not i did things i i, I moved to a, a, a town a small town where the cost of living was really low i found a job that paid really well you know, so that didn't just fall in my lap. I had to go find that. I had to create that life, right? So I it's it's not. I didn't all just. I did just didn't just sit in downtown Toronto, paying, you know, twenty five hundred dollars a month for rent, earning minimum wage or tr 
whatever. I, I didn't, I didn't just live with bad math, you know, where here's my income, here's my expenses, poor me. I, I had to go find the life I wanted and create it. So, so I, my whole point here is not all, it's not all income dependent. You're not, you're not making an absorbent amount of money and you can easily say, oh yeah, just live off but half. But I do believe it is still partly income dependent. No, but, but I, you, if you live in downtown Toronto and you make an above average wage for a Canadian, I don't like your chances of doing this. Yeah. So you have to so, go and create a life where this can happen. It's about like striving to achieve the goals that you want out of life. A lot of people these days have a tendency to settle. And I definitely agree with Trevor that most people settle with being broke. They settle with the circumstances they're given and they don't strive Victim for mentality. personal improvement. Victim and mentality. That's 100% the way that you can get to this point is if you put in that time, you put in that effort, and you go and you look for the prize that you want. And you've, you've summed it up perfectly. So many people, I, I've heard this from countless people, can't find a job. I have not been unemployed for 30 years. And it, you just have to go where the opportunities are. And you have to be selective with your where you go. And... To Jace's point, you have to make it happen. It's not going to just fall in your lap. So if you're a young, young person starting out, don't, do not adopt the victim mentality that this is the, the hand I've been dealt. You know, life has been unfair. I have to play this out. Oh, poor me. You have to be deliberate. So let's move on to our second last point. Our second last deliberate lifestyle choice here, number nine, is surround yourself with like-minded people. I would like to say that this is a point that is super important to me. Um, being someone who was raised in a way that is completely different from the life that I'm, I'm living now, I had to slowly shift out a lot of people out of my life who didn't agree with my life choices or who didn't um, support me in my life decisions. And a lot of those... Uh, led me to where I am now and being happy and enjoying myself. And I think that without surrounding yourself with people who love and care and support you, you, you definitely will have a lot harder of a time achieving your goals because you will have no support system. So let me ask you, that was not easy. No, not at all. Tough I, decisions, yeah. hard decisions to get there. You know, very uncomfortable. I was, yeah, Maybe definitely. even second guessing yourself. Right? I had a lot of moments, for yeah. sure. So getting people out of your life who are not supportive, who, who don't share your philosophy, it, it can seem cold and heartless. But if you surround yourself with people who make you... The, the, if every time you make a bad decision in life, the same people are around you, there starts to be a pattern there. Right? You start realizing that you know, every time I buy something and I regret I bought it, the same people are with me every time. So they're, they're clearly, these people aren't supporting you. They're actually probably encouraging you to make bad decisions. So, in, to, so that's step one. But you're talking about people who are actually going to help and raise you up. Yeah. You like, want to surround yourself. So that's the next step is surround yourself with people who are actually, you know, uh, rising tides raise all boats, right? You want to be in that circle, right? You know, I think it's the easier way to go about doing it because, like, I think it's really hard, like, to push people out. Like, I don't think it's a natural thing we want to do in life, but I think if you found, find people who you enjoy, like you, like, like if, if, if people you're around are, are 
making good financial choice or whatever. And you're, you're like, that's awesome, right? You're going to get excited by it. You're going to like that. Cause, and it's going to be such a, a more fun environment because all of a sudden you're, in a, you're, you're feeling more relaxed. You know, these people want to do the same thing as you. And these other people who are, are causing these poor decisions, you, it's gonna, you're, you're not going to realize it, but like, I think they could cause stresses in your like, world. So you're going to have a tendency to want to drift to these other people. Well, I, I'd like to, to make a point to that too. Like, I think a, a very, very important part is also like my, my best friends are all no-nonsense people who will tell me what's up. They will not take two seconds to sugarcoat something for me. They're going to be like, hey, man, you're messing up. Fix this. So you can't have enough people like that in your life. No, and those are the most important people, I think, to, to keep by you, to keep with you, because you need that to be like, whoa, yeah, you're right. I need to reevaluate this this issue. I need to reevaluate what I want to do with my life. If you if you're just having good times, like if 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 it's just laughs and fun with with the people in your life, and it's just always, uh, you know, everybody's laughing and carrying, you know, having a good time. Nobody's ever doing a reality check. You probably are not surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you. No, it's usually the people who are like, "Hey, let's go party or let's go do this," instead of like, "Hey, like here's some some issues like." Let's have a deep conversation on on the beach or a deep conversation in the woods and enjoy ourselves, but also like be reasonable with your money spending. Here's an extremely simplistic example of being being around uh, people who who don't share your philosophy. Just say you're, and I don't do a lot. Just say you're at a bar with a group of ten guys, ten of your buddies, and one guy says, first round's on me," and so he's buying ten drinks for everyone at the table. Well, at some point, it's coming around to you. And, you know, the 10th round's on me, I guess. If you feel crappy about paying for that round of drinks, you know, if that bugs the crap out of you, you know, that, that's an example. You, you don't share the, that philosophy, right? You, if you're not excited about buying a round of drink for your buddies, you know, if that's not something you want to do, and I'm not promoting that or condoning it or whatever, but if every time you're out and you know this is coming and it's just eating away at you, like, oh, I got to, you know, put a hundred bucks on the table for a round of drinks. This is going to kill me. You're, you're in the wrong circle of people. So that's kind of the telltale signs that you, the kind of the, what the feeling that you experience after you spend money, that's kind of what you should look for. If you're, if you're wondering if you're surrounding yourself. Yeah, how you feel, people. right? If, and if that's your thing, you know, buying rounds of drinks with your friends and I'm not condoning it, but if that's, if, if you love that, if you can't wait for that day to come in your turn or you're always the first one, then you're, you are with like-minded people, right? That, that, and I, so I, I'm not saying who that who you should be with or what, how you should spend your money, but if you surround if if you are miserable spending money on things with people, you, you got to rethink the group of people you're with. I feel like the the best people to keep in your life are the people who will also enjoy the simple things in life with you. That you don't always have to spend money to have a good time. That you can go for a walk through the woods or go camping and only spend a few hundred dollars assuming you you enjoy in fact enjoy the simple things in life right i do want to add to and i think this is kind of a very basic point but if you live your life purposefully and deliberately and, and engage in activities that that you find enjoyable you will automatically interact and come in contact with people who enjoy the same things as you so i think just living your most honest deliberate life that that is really and truly your own you will naturally just connect with those people the people that don't share it will filter out of your life oh, yeah. slowly yeah. and the people that do will you'll end up spending more time with them they'll become closer 
I think I was trying to say that before was um, uh, like so say say you were going on the bar all the time and you you hated paying for those ten drinks like the round or whatever, and say then all of a sudden you're like you know what. I'm also gonna try book club. Like you, like that was something you That's loved. That's a good you example. Know? You you loved like like you loved um, sharing your book. You read, you know, all that. And then it would become one of those things where, say, like you know, one night when everyone's like, "Oh, you want to go for drinks?" and you're like, "No, it's okay. I got book club." And then like all of a sudden you start you 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 start avoiding like that like because you're quicker. You're like, "Oh, I enjoy this so much more than you know the like like going out." So it's it's one of those things where I think it, instead of trying to push things out, if you chase so other, so you're saying. Add things to your life Add things that you try to subtract. Then subtract. I like yeah, that. I like that. I think if you subtract, then you're gonna you're gonna be lonely. You feel deprived. What, yeah, what you're gonna feel like is okay, great. I don't have to spend a hundred dollars, but you're gonna be thinking about those friends that you're you're no longer hanging out with. But then say you have got better friends that are reading the books you love. Well, those friends are reading the books you love, and they're cool people. And then these people are just cool people who are making you spend a hundred dollars. I love that. So it's like yeah, yeah. So I think add instead of subtract, or like if you add subtraction results yes you only have so much time in the day i feel like too if you if you follow this philosophy which is an amazing philosophy you'll end up figuring out more about yourself as a person and the more that you add into your life and the more that you try new things and and take on new experiences you'll become a more rounded person and then you'll end up having those very good supporting people with you because they'll also appreciate the same things you do long term so the last item here in and our final deliberate lifestyle choice that leads us to early financial independence is learn to enjoy the simple things in life. Okay, so this one, I think this is, and it's a good last one, I think it summarizes uh, everything that we've been talking about. And I think it's the easiest way to get to uh, being able to live uh, a financially, uh, like um, a good financial life. What's the what was the fancy word you always use? I feel like fancy, fancy uh, financially responsible life. So, um, like so, like I think if you can get down to the base, like a lot of things, like I'll go back to the drinks. Say okay, is people they 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 want to get together, you want to socialize. So the tendency is you need to like throw something in there, you know, a meal, some drinks, or whatever. But what's wrong with just say going to a park? And just sitting there and hanging out, right? That's that doesn't cost you anything. And I think we 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 tend to put a lot of extra things around our our, our lives, and even with things like like just everything, we tend to put things around it. And if you can simplify it, if you can minimize your life and enjoy the simple things, I think that's the basis of of really enjoying and understanding. Like instead of it being a diet of financial um, cutting finances out, it, it'll become something you want to do. So, what do you think of? the concept of learning to enjoy the simple things in life. Do you think that is something we do naturally or is that something we have to cultivate? I think something you have to cultivate. I think something you have to kind of reflect on. Like you, you got to think about um, why you enjoy like doing that simpler thing. Like you, you got to have a reason. If like, you think of our society today, it has never been so hard to do less than. And oh, so if absolutely. you think about eating, I mean, there was a time where people used to have to, you know, if you go back to caveman days, there wasn't enough food to go around. But now you have to work really hard to not eat too much. And the way we pay for things today, you have to work really hard to not spend too much. And so to Mike's point, you have to work really hard to not overdo your entertainment or over, overexpose yourself to excitement. Like, 
it's hard to do less in our society. It's not easy. But but to both your points, I think if we break that down, so why we're doing maybe these these uh, so do we take the uh, take the idea of relaxation? So there's a lot of things that are re- relaxing. Sitting on a beach, just busting or driving to sit on a beach, that's relaxing. Sitting in a park, that's relaxing. Just sitting on your couch, that can be relaxing. But society says that are we really relaxing until we're at a an, a spa? Are we really relaxed until we're there? No. So we go to that spa because that's where people relax. So I think I, th- I think we are kind of trying to maybe we take that simple kind of feeling that, that feels good and we kind of just really overexpose it. What do you it. think of the concept? You have to actually schedule. Simpli- in, our, in our society, in our work, in our lives, our complicated lives, you have to schedule simplicity into it. You have to actually carve out times for simplicity. They're not just going to happen on their own. You, you, it sounds too well, complicated. Well, there's a, there's to a me. couple points that that could be made to that though. Like, in in our society, there's there's this new trend. Uh, I had to look it up to see how it was pronounced, but it's called huga, and it's like this Danish trend of taking oh, every of moment and relaxing in that moment and being like, okay, it's raining outside. Sit by the window, read a book, grab a coffee, enjoy yourself in that moment, and just try and be content. In every moment. But what do you say to the, somebody who's got three kids and they all got soccer and hockey and baseball practice and dance? What do you say to that take person? A, take a look at your kids when they're when they're at soccer practice. Watch and see like how much enjoyment that they're gonna get from that, and just take that moment to be like, I'm a parent. That that is my child out there. Take a moment to reflect. So, in so every you're moment saying that you could be like stressed out or like don't be focused on the next thing you have to do. No, take a moment. Just enjoy that moment then and there. Or I was gonna say like so like with kids obviously because it takes a lot of time. Instead of like, say you know you put your hobbies on hold. So instead of trying to be worried about getting those hobbies done and, and you know like oh my kids are in the way of me doing my hobbies. Maybe your kids become your hobby. Like and then that way it's simple. You know that's like all you gotta focus on. Or so be or be grateful maybe like, you have kids that you can do. Yeah, things. yeah. I don't know. We're not we're we're not parents well, here, here. But here's something I do is I remain I make sure. So if I if I reflect back on the week that just passed, if there wasn't some moments of. I'll even go as far as to call them boredom. If I didn't have a few moments of boredom that I can remember saying, I, I was kind of struggling with, um, you know, what I'm going to do next or, you know, just sort of not really sure how I was going to fill this next window of time. And I don't know if we call it boredom, but then my life is overscheduled. You know, I, I need to reflect back on the week. and You're jumping from one thing yeah, to the next. There, there yeah. needs to be gaps of nothing in between the gaps of things that need to be done. You know, you come home, you make supper, you clean the kitchen. There needs to be a window of, I don't know what I'm going to do next. You know, the, you, otherwise, you're, you have too much going on in your life. And just say you have kids. I'm sure listeners to this show do. If, if you're not doing yourself any favors, if you've got your kids in activities back to back to back to back, like you need to have, you're not probably being the greatest parent you can be if, if all you're doing is running your kids from activity, 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 you know, they need a, for you to be a great parent, you need this, you need your, your own mind check at some point. So I think you're looking at like, like specific, like relaxation points. And I think that's, I think that's important, like being able to stop and reflect, but I think there's other ways, like, like there, there's a thing of like, like say every meal, like you, you make, it's just this insane, like you throw 20 different ingredients into your meal. Like, how complicated is that going to be? Your grocery shopping is always going to be so confusing. You're always going to be forgetting things. It's going to take like an hour to make each meal. That's complicated. 
and then I think it's things like so. So instead, having simple meals, I think it's just like like taking assessing everything you do in your life and saying how can I make that simpler. And then I think that's when you do end up getting more time. Like you, if you can organize your life and like and simplify your tasks, I think that's when. So you So let me go back time. to my question: Do do we have to learn how to enjoy the simple things in life, or or are we just getting in the way of it? Well, you have to practice. You have yes, to practice, I, practice enjoying the simple things in life. Like me and Court have a tendency to 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 be rushed. We have the nine to five job, and we're always working all the time. But we take time. Uh, once or twice a week to go and sit on our balcony and have a coffee first thing in the morning and just look out and enjoy and be like, you know what? This is a great apartment. We've got a great balcony. We're living an amazing life. You know, there's not too many problems going on. Just take that moment and relax and enjoy it. And that's how you're not always focused on the next thing coming. You're not always focused on that next dollar. You're focused on what you have and when you have it. So I was saying you need to schedule in simplicity. It, yeah, you have to. It's make not it, going to happen on it, its own. You it, have to uh, make priority. it important. Yeah. I think if you can also simplify like the things you're doing, I think that can make life in general more. Because then, right, like, so say say everything's complicated in your life, and you're just waiting for those simple things. Well, then you're just going to be rushing from thing to thing to get to that simplicity. So you need to design what, a life. What, that yeah, yeah, what, what if you can make the rest of your life simple? Like, like. I don't know. Let's. What's an example of something you you do every day that like feels complicated? Well, like, may just say breakfast. Just or just packing a lunch. Breakfast, breakfast, perfect. Okay, so breakfast. So there's people I know like who make like bacon and eggs. Exactly. And, like they do the the works. That is so complicated. So every morning you're you're rushing through that so you can have your nice meal. Well, what if you just did oatmeal? Like how nice would that be? Then then you ha- like you you can just you buy yourself like, some time. Yeah, like isn't that nice? Like I, I so I think you you can make the things and then that's enjoyable, right? Like you can you can. So in an effort to design a simple life, you have to simplify aspects of your life to get there. Yeah, yeah. Like I think you got to look at each part of your life and simplify it. So my overarching question then for point number ten here is. How truly does living, enjoying the simple things, living a simple life, all come back to benefiting us from a personal finance perspective and helping us reach financial independence? I think if you can enjoy the simple things in life, you're just going to, it's going to be cost avoidance is what it adds up to. So it's not, you're not actually saving money. You're avoiding spending money on things that may or may not add value to your life. So for instance, we did a lot of camping with my kids when they were younger. You know, most of those vacations, none of those vacations include plane tickets, hotels, restaurants. But we have very fond memories of those vacations. So, and those were simple times. And, you know, me and my wife, we look back to when we were younger, we had an apartment. And it was just a one-bedroom apartment. Everything we owned was in that apartment. And we look back at that time so fondly because now we have a house with all the things that go can go wrong with a house. That place has, you know, got lots of stuff in the basement, and there's 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 home ownership responsibilities, cutting the grass, and getting a new roof put on, new windows put in, and you got property tax. You know, j- j- a house has a lot of complexities. We look back to our apartment life and say, man. We, we had it there. And you go back, you ask kids when they were in college or university, and they look back at those times so fondly, and it, it's the simplicity of those times. It's Because even if even when you're in your apartment, there's more complexity. you got more bills to pay. You, it was just you. 
and maybe your parents were paying your your rent or whatever and you just had to get yourself to school get yourself home there, there was so little to be concerned with oh, i want to jump in here so i think um like like i thought it was really interesting what you said with like the vacation right like how you said you, you there was no plane tickets involved right like you went camping and it was always a good time and I think it's realizing kind of like the fundamental purpose of what's being accomplished. So like when you're on vacation, one of the big things you're trying to do is you're just trying to enjoy time with family or, or friends or whatever it happens. Do to you be. need to be at Disney and to do that? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you need to be at this crazy thing? And so I think it, it, like like it's almost kind of like like with the minimalist, right? Like like in order to be happy, like if, if you're not happy with something, you just throw money money at it. And I think that's a general assumption people start to do is like like they, they want to throw more money at something because they assume that's going to create more fun or like not just money, but just like they, they try to make more extravagant because they assume the more extravagant is the better it's going to be. And what's the fundamental thing? I think if you get so complicated, it takes away from it because there's so much going on. Do you know what gets on. in the like, way of simplicity? It's noise. It is expectation. Gets in the way of simplicity. Yes, yeah, yeah. Expectation or if you're married to an outcome, you know, this is what I want my vacation to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, rather than just letting it happen, and usually with more expensive ones, because you gotta you, like so. Say you're going to Disneyland, you, you gotta you gotta pick about your plane ticket. You gotta pick the day you're going there. You gotta you gotta know more so much about your trip that you're gonna have. Okay, this is what we, it's gonna be like this day. This is what it's gonna be like that day. And it, you're you're gonna build those expectations where if you're like, okay, kids, throw the stuff in the van. We're going to camping. Like it's gonna probably work out. Fine, I feel like no I feel like too though. It all it comes back to not just expectation of the trip, but societal expectation you are like almost forced to take those trips like to go on those like extravagant or you're you a know, bad european parent. trips yeah you, you go to florida take them to disneyland like that is so ingrained your kids in have never society. been to disney i'm gonna call the children exactly. society and, and consumerism is at the forefront of that all these advertisements everything that's telling you spend more spend more spend more and reuse less that is the definition of what society is right now. And I think that's exactly why this podcast is very important. But where would companies be if if everybody wanted simplicity? You know, what, what could they possibly sell us, right? So to your point, marketing doesn't want simplicity. Simplicity is their enemy. And they try to promote it that it's it's the experience, the specific experience you're doing. And I think it's more about just what like that time like that like enjoying who you're with and stuff like i think they're trying to say like, like if you don't do this specific experience it's not going to be a good time i don't think that's like, like did you really go on a vacation if you didn't go to disney yeah, yeah. Really. like did you really and the, by committing the money to a to to an event your expectations like you just dropped like 10 grand i better have a good time and chances are that's true no that's matter true. what time you have it's never going to measure up to the 10 grand it cost for that vacation. Yeah. It's yeah. never going to add up. Growing up, like I have been on two different cruises with my family at two separate occasions. And I cannot stress enough that both of those were extremely stressful times. People were getting mad at each other. Luggage was getting lost. Things were getting like all over the place. I got sick for most of it because of the plane and then because of the boat. And it was just a nightmare. And we spent a lot of money to go on that. And then you compare that to one of my most fond memories is the ice storm that we had. I was sitting in front of my fireplace. There was no electronics in the house. There was just candles everywhere. We had a small fire going. And my whole family was in the living room cuddling basically for warmth. And we all slept in sleeping bags that night. And it was one of the best memories I've had 
with my family and it cost us nothing and not even hydro. Wow. And the one thing, the one similarity between those two things was that your family was together. Like that was the kind of, I'll call it the main goal of both experiences, which is to get the family together. Exactly. And, and like, a, like you said, so you simplify it and it becomes such a much better experience. So that brings us to the end of our list of 10 deliberate lifestyle choices we can make to lead us to early financial independence. And before we end the show, Trevor, I'm going to point to you because uh, he's been itching to uh, give us his mic drop final thoughts of the show. So just some final thoughts. So one is have a plan. I can't stress that enough. Have a plan. So big events in life are great and they should be celebrated. But it's the little things you do every day that are going to make a difference, without question. And if you want something nobody else has, you have to be willing to do something nobody else does. That was a mic drop if I ever heard one. Wow. Well, on that note, uh, I, th I think we all just want to say to our listeners, to you guys, thank you so much for, for being here with us, whether this is your first episode that you're, you're joining us for or whether you've been in with us since episode one. I think this journey is enjoyable. This podcast is enjoyable because we get to, we get to talk with you every week and, and interact with our listener write-ins and, and, and know that we're kind of one big, simple money solution kind of community, all kind of with the same goal that goes against societal expectations. So again, it's been a fantastic roundtable. Jace, Mike, thank you for uh, joining us for this. Thanks for having me. And again, this was episode 100. We're so excited to, to reach this very kind of monumental part in our podcast. And we're definitely not ending anytime soon. So as always, we'll see you next Tuesday with a brand new episode. But until then, keep it simple.